Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to marketing strategies to regulatory pressures. At six months into the pandemic, we are well past the frantic pantry stocking days that left many store shelves bare. And yet, the broad product selection available in stores before the coronavirus outbreak has not returned, prompting questions about whether the slimmed down selection is the new normal, and if so, what it means for industry. According to recent research by the full service sales and marketing agency at Costa, 52% of shoppers at the beginning of summer continued to notice fewer shelf stable foods. 60% noticed less meat and seafood variety, and 69% reported fewer non-food products available on store shelves. The disparity and sparsity of the selection pre- and post-pandemic bothered 90% of shoppers and caused more than a third to feel anxious or stressed when they couldn't find something that was always available pre-pandemic. Shoppers aren't the only ones who are thrown off by the scaled-back offerings. Retailers and manufacturers are too, according to David Gottlieb, Managing Director of the Americas at Trax, which provides computer vision and analytics solutions for retail. He explains in this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast that the chaotic impact of the pandemic on supply chains, retailers' warehouse management capabilities, shifting consumer demands and shopping habits, as well as financial pressure on manufacturers to improve margins, created an unintentional huge reset. As a result, he says the days of semi-annual resets and related skew evaluation and rationalization are long gone, and now stakeholders must continually evaluate product and partnership performance. Before the pandemic, manufacturers worked with retailers, and they generally reset the category twice a year, once one major, one minor, and that's when you saw you know, some rationalization, some new items being introduced, space growing or shrinking for different brands. And I think the, the view we have today is that all that is happening unintentionally and at incredible scale, uh, kind of in the background. And if th- there's a big risk that if manufacturers and retailers don't really understand the state of the shelf and don't really understand what's happening with all the metrics, they're not in a very good position to, to chart the right sort of path forward and to make the kind of decisions that you've been asking about around the portfolio, around investing in brands. And so I think the, the sort of call to action really is you really need to understand what's happening at the shelf so that you can build a point of view around how that can inform your strategy going forward. And this is where Trax shines, even amid a chaos of the pandemic. Gottlieb explained that through a combination of technology and flexible label model, Trax can help manufacturers and retailers better understand why something is or isn't selling and then optimize a product or store mix for maximum performance. One way that Trax does this is through its image recognition capability. Image recognition probably means a lot of things in a lot of contexts. When we say it, what we're talking about is the ability to turn photographs that are taken in store, uh, and that can be you know, a shelf set, a display, a cooler, really anything, uh, any merchandising conditions in the store that can be captured in a photograph, and take that unstructured data in the form of the photograph and turn it into structured data 
by recognizing really the items that are present in the image at the lowest level of detail or the UPC. And so they, they do that to help them execute better at retail if they're a manufacturer, um, oftentimes help them understand very quickly and be more efficient around which products are missing from the set and need to be packed out from the back or need to be reordered. Um, and then also sort of upstream, it helps to create a bit more transparency between the brands, the manufacturers and the retailers. So when they're discussing in their line review or joint business planning sessions, uh, the state of the shelf and the state of the planogram, it, it creates a bit more of a, of a level playing field to discuss, well, how many facings do I really have of this product and how often is it merchandised consistent with the planogram and how much display am I really getting? All those sorts of questions. So that's um, the thing that I think is important to also understand is what is the state of the store for those SKUs? And, and what I mean by that is imagine you have five SKUs in your portfolio and, you know, SKU number one is great and SKU number five is the worst. And you might say, all right, this is pretty easy. I want to go to four. I'm going to cut this fifth one. What you don't know is what type of merchandising are you getting for that fifth SKU? And is it really getting a fair shot to perform against your expectation? And so if you had a really good understanding, if you were measuring the, the location of its, of, its, um, of its home on the shelf, uh, how many facings it has, how available it is. So let's imagine an extreme scenario where you went out and measured SKU number five in uh, a significant number of stores, and you found that 90% of the time it's out of stock, right, something totally extreme. So the point I'm making is that's going to give you a, almost the opposite conclusion, which is, you know what, this SKU has great potential. Shoppers really want it. There's not enough holding power on the shelf, by and large, to keep up with shopper demand. If there were, if it were double-faced or triple-faced, actually, it would outperform SKU number one. So that's a totally extreme example, but the point I'm making is you, you have to be careful not to come to a conclusion by just looking at one set of data. During the pandemic, Track's image recognition technology revealed several trends that Gottlieb said retailers and manufacturers need to consider when thinking through inventory levels and whether to add or axe a skew permanently or just temporarily. We see a lot of interesting information and data and imagery from the stores. Um, some of the things that we're seeing are, are sort of the obvious, you know, things that shoppers saw on an everyday basis, especially in the March-April time frame, the early kind of panic categories being blown out of the shelf, um, still somewhat inexplicably toilet paper was, was, a, was one that nobody could find, but then more, you know, more logically home cleaning, you know, sanitizing products, et cetera. Um, I, I think what's, what's a little bit maybe less intuitive is that we're seeing, you know, throughout this sort of sustaining period of the, of the pandemic or whatever you want to call this period that we're in right now, um, there's continued demand for more like the comfort categories, which it's super interesting. I think the psychology of it maybe seems pretty straightforward, um, but really the impact on the industry is, is I think what's what's fascinating because you know for the last I don't know decade or so we've seen the center store broadly kind of suffering. Right, shoppers have ha have sort of by and large um, been encouraged and, and and have been shopping the perimeter of the store, fresh and produce and all, all the things that you see in the perimeter. And center store brands, I think, have struggled with that sort of, you know, is there a shift to healthier eating and how do they respond to that, et cetera. And here what we're seeing is 
you know, it's the snack foods, it's the cookies, the crackers. Those are the products, even canned soup, that were experiencing, you know, meaningfully higher availability issues than they were pre-pandemic. And that has that has persisted. As manufacturers and retailers continue to shift their focus to better meeting evolving consumer demands, many are still struggling with constrained supply lines prompting at times tough decisions about how much product to send to each retailer. Here again, Gottlieb says that Trax can help manufacturers make this decision by providing them with extra transparency into retailers' warehouses, inventory, and stocking capabilities through its mobile workforce. Yeah, we also have uh, the, the, the largest flexible mobile workforce in the U.S., or sometimes it's called a crowd, and, and what, that, what that does for us is really two things. One is for, for warehouse brands, it gives them arms and legs that they don't typically have in the sense that many of them don't have uh, field forces, field sales forces. So the ability to go into stores and, and be um, you know, incredibly wide ranging with our coverage, uh, very high response in terms of speed, and then get pictures of the set, but then also the ability to actually take action in the store. So pack out the shelf, uh, reset a category, apply an instant redeemable coupon, all things like that. If, if you think about a warehouse route to market company, you know, somebody who's selling health and beauty products or center store products, largely those are, are going to the warehouse. And, and so what that means from a, from a CPG standpoint is, you know, they, they know what they're selling to a, a customer, to a retailer, but they kind of lose visibility into the details of what goes where um, after it leaves the DC, right? Once they once they sell it to the retailer, and so there there's this opportunity, and what we're seeing customers do pretty effectively, manufacturers do, is if if they can actually understand store level information around what's available on the shelf, you know, what's the level of inventory, uh, how quickly is the stock level changing and the velocity changing, that can allow them to be a bit more deliberate and and perhaps. Um, shopper-driven as they think about the allocation. So it's not just trying to cover everything like, you know, spreading peanut butter. It's saying, okay, if I understand that, you know, a retailer in the Northeast is consistently uh, having availability issues, maybe I'll prioritize those orders over one where I think they're kind of business as usual. While tracks can help reduce SKU rationalization by improving sales of available inventory, Gottlieb acknowledged that some SKU rationalization is due to lingering supply chain challenges, but he predicts many of those are category-specific and ultimately will resolve themselves naturally as long as there isn't another panic-fueled shopping surge. There are real supply chain constraints that, you know, sector by sector have been, you know, somewhat publicly talked about. If you look at the protein business, I mean, there's been well-publicized concerns about certain plants and certain manufacturers that are having to, you know, meaningfully reduce capacity. And you feel that at the shelf, right? You, you walk down and look for chicken breasts and for weeks and weeks, you couldn't find them. Sometimes you could. And I think that, you know, most of those have come back online, but the risk is still there. And I think you kicked off the call by saying, Hey, are, you know, where are we in this thing? Are we beginning, middle or end? And, you know, the, the charts are, are changing every day, but I think the risk that the supply constraint continues in those categories is, is high. Um, I think I, that wouldn't surprise me if, if we saw more of that. I, I don't have a crystal ball. I'm just kind of thinking, you know, from, from my, own, my own perspective. Um, 
other other manufacturers, it feels like unless there's another wave of panic, uh, it feels like the supply chain has caught up and we see inventory levels uh, in, in a reasonable place. You know, maybe the out-of-stock rate is, you know, one or two points higher than, than normal, but we're not seeing the same kind of blown-out shelves that we saw in paper products and categories like that. For now, ongoing SKU rationalization may be frustrating for consumers and worrisome for companies that have had to scale back selection to focus on high-demand items, but Gottlieb said it has, a bit counterintuitively, created an opportunity for emerging brands to more easily secure shelf space in some instances. A lot of the growth in the industry, and this is, this is well, I think, well-documented, a lot of the growth has come from uh, new and emerging brands. And, you know, as always, there's a limited amount of, of space in the store. And so as, if, if you're a new brand or an emerging brand, the thing that's most critical is, you know, how do you get distribution? How do you get on the shelf? And, and part of that is always the balance that a retailer has to strike between supporting um, shopper choice by having lots of variety and lots of new brands and lots of flavors and also giving sort of what they might consider to be fair share of space to a manufacturer who may be driving the majority of the lion's share of sales in the category. So if, if I guess what I'm, what I'm driving towards is if we see this trend where uh, large, large players, number one, number two players in the category, are reducing variety, reducing shopper choice, focusing on key SKUs, um, my, my strong belief would be that's going to create more opportunity for the emerging brands because it means, you know, if, if you only have, you know, six, as you just talked about fizzy water, six flavors of fizzy water versus 12, you know, perhaps you, you can cut down, maybe you don't have half the space, but maybe you have three quarters of the space because you don't need to double face everything, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think in general, those dynamics will favor the, the emerging brands. By rationalizing SKUs and facings of national brands, retailers also are making more space for local products, which Acosta's research found are increasingly attractive to consumers. A survey conducted earlier this summer found that 24% of grocery shoppers are buying more U.S.-made products, and 17% are buying more local brands. Among those buying local brands, Acosta reports it's because 42% want to support their local economy now. And this could increase in the future with Acosta reporting that 69% of shoppers may consider buying more local brands post-pandemic. Ultimately, there are a lot of moving pieces influencing the current flux of product mix available, which is why Gottlieb stressed it is even more important now than before the pandemic for manufacturers and retailers to have real-time insights into what's happening at all levels, including consumer demand, retail availability, and production capability. With that, we've come to the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you'll join me again next time for another installment. And to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week. <music>